Hey everybody, Jace here. Real quick before we get started, I just wanted to ask you a huge favor. If you follow me on Twitter, you know I've been embarrassing myself on a weekly basis for this Bad Idea Fan Cup, and there is a tweet that is pinned to my profile on Twitter, and I just need you to go and like it. It literally will take, you know, 10 seconds to open up Twitter, type in twitter.com forward slash the comic source, and just like the video. Uh, if you want to retweet it, that's cool too. Um, but no quote t- tweets because it, I really just need the likes. So I appreciate everybody. Here's the episode. Hope you enjoy it. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Comic Source Podcast. I'm your host, Jace, here to talk today about some Superman, my favorite character, and joining me is one of the writers, now one of the writers of Action Comics, Philip Kenny Johnson. Philip, welcome back to the show. Hey, man. Thank you. Yeah, I mentioned one of the writers because with the the new kind of direction, and we'll talk about that, Dawn of DC, uh, Action Comics kind of go into an anthology with uh, three different stories. You got your main uh, story that you're telling, kind of continuing with what you've been doing in action. And then we've got sort of a flashback story that Dan Jurgens is telling, Lois and Clark style. And then we've got a, actually a Power Girl story from Leigh Williams. So really interesting. I've had a chance to, uh, to check out the, the first issue of this Dawn of DC era. But let me just start off by asking you what what's your feeling about dawn of dc overall and this direction that superman's taking because we've seen some changes specifically in 1050 that we talked about uh maybe his power level's changing maybe the game has changed for him a little bit yeah i hope so i mean this i think well dawn of dc like line wide i think it made a lot of sense because a lot of the darker stories that have been happening more recently um you know can't be gloom and doom all the time so uh, following the events of dark crisis and um, War World Saga specifically, which I think is probably one of the darker Superman stories. Uh, bringing it back to Metropolis and bringing the whole family into it and <clears throat> making it kind of a, a celebration of the whole Superman mythos um, just made a lot of sense for for our books. But I think Donna DC also makes sense for this particular time in, in DC history as well. So it's cool to be part of it. I think it's going to be most evident, honestly, in the Superman books. Yeah, which is interesting because I always say as the Superman books go, so does DC, you know, Batman might pay the bills, but the overall feel and tone of the DC universe, I feel is very intrinsically related to, to Superman. So as far as timing goes, like how, how long ago did you know about Dawn of DC and was it kind of fortuitous that it was dovetailing with the end of your uh, war world saga? Like talk a little bit about how that all came about. It was fortuitous. Yeah. I think, I mean, I don't know the inner workings about like when they line up specific events. Those aren't the kind of conversations I'm usually in. But I know that Action 1050 was seen as a big landmark issue, mm-hmm. um, kind of like a like turning the page and beginning of a new era where we bring back the the Superman title. We bring back the Adventures of Superman, John Kent book. We um, Action, of course, continues, but it's all this is where it's truly post-war world. And all of those threads have pretty much been wrapped up, like aside from the presence of the kids who are still around. Um, so I don't know how much of it is just kind of good fortune, how much was planned. I know that we um, we reconfigured the um, the release window for the for the issues that came out after War World Saga because initially 
it was gonna the way we did the ending was we had to we released War World Apocalypse number one, and that was like this big double size thing that kind of put the the end of the whole series out. That was gonna be happening in the in the um in the monthlies and like 1047 and eight. And we ended up kind of moving that all around. This, I mean, it was it was discussed a long time ago, but right. um just to coincide so that the the release schedule is lined up to bring everything together uh for 1050, kind of like the you know, the aligning the planets for, for 1050 and uh, put the genie back in the bottle, um, secret identity wise, and kind of, you know, put the springboard there for the three series going forward and kind of make it like a new triangle era kind of, kind of feel. Um, so there was a little bit of, of collaboration on schedule, but um, as far as Don DC, I think, I don't think there was no direction from editorial, like we got to make a happy book now. Right. It was more, um, that was what was just, it made sense to do that following dark crisis, I think for them. Yeah. And I'm glad you mentioned the triangle era. And we'll talk a little bit more about that. Cause we talked about that being one of your favorite eras, uh, the last time you were on. So yeah, it seems like kind of fortuitous <clears throat> that, that, you know, DC does want to kind of go back to its, its roots and, and, you know, especially for us longtime fans, we love the hopeful nature of it. And it kind of coincided with, you were ready to, to tell a Superman story that was more that you you've challenged him. He's come through that trial by fire, so to speak. And now let's let's focus on an era where maybe he's back in Metropolis and we do see that larger supporting cast like we did have in the in the triangle era. Is that fair to say? Yeah, for sure. It's yeah, it's like 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 I said, it's a, it's a celebration of all of all of all things Superman. And um I think Triangle era wraps that up really nicely. I think it's a very good representation of of a lot of that mythos. That's when a lot of those those characters that we remember and love and have continued to be a huge part of the Superman mythology. A lot of those came to be during that time. Um, so, yeah, it's not – I mean, the thing that people remember the most – I can't speak for everyone, but I everyone remembers the fact that they all kind of told one story, kind of mm-hmm. like a revolving door thing. And I did not want to do that here, um, in part because I think Josh and Tom and I have such different voices. Mm-hmm. Um, it would be a little weird to try to – to try to homogenize all of our, all of our voices into one thing. And plus, even as a kid, I didn't love the revolving door of artists, like from issue right. to issue. Um, I really wanted action to be its own story and for Superman to be to Josh, for Josh to be able to tell his own story in, in, um, in Superman and Tom, of course, in his. So I, it's more just the, just the, just the feeling that those books right. gave me that I'm trying to capture, you know, it's, if it's a, if there's, if it's a tribute to any kind of Superman book from the past, it's really the, the 80 page, 100 page giants where you could, um, you know, pick up a book and there's these different, those books were anthologies. I would, I'm not sure I'd call action going forward an anthology exactly because the, the stories that are happening in the lead and the two backups, they do continue from month to month. Right. Right. Um, and some of those will be different lengths than others. Um, it's there's still primi- primarily a, like a 20 page lead story that is the the bulk of what action is, and then the other ones also continue. But um, but the old proper anthologies where you'd you'd see a you know the super family, but also the bad family, where you'd see mm-hmm. Batman fighting, you know, solving a mystery, and then you'd see um, background Dick Grayson fighting um, Benedict Arnold or whatever, <laughs> you know. Yeah, those old uh, those are really fun, and um, I just. I keep using the word celebration. That's what they felt like at the time. Like, here's everything you love about Batman. Or here's everything you love about Super Family. And, um, you know, these, I want these to have that same kind of energy. Yeah. And a lot of the times those, those old school books like that, 
you know, you'd have your main feature with Batman or Superman or you're somebody to, that would draw the reader in, but then you get introduced to new people. You know, maybe uh, I think back to those old action comics where it was a backup story. You'd have like Airwave or Robot Man or a human target or someone like that. Right. Um, and it does seem like, you know, having read 1051, it's also a good jumping on point for for new readers. Right? I mean, mo- mo- anybody that picks up an action comic is going to know who Superman is. But in terms of it didn't seem like you needed to know a lot of of what had gone on before. I mean, with context, you know, the new kids obviously are there, but uh, are you, are you conscious of that? that you want to make it a, a good jumping on point? Exactly. Yes, for sure. I mean, we, we all wanted, um, we want anyone who comes into these, I want anyone who goes into a comic store who is either um, a long time, like lifelong Superman fan who read back in the day, fell off it at some point, is trying to get back into it now, whether it be somebody who, you know, saw the TV show recently is like, I kind of want to check out a Superman comic or, you know, or a kid just kind of coming of age to check it out. Anyone who might be willing to come into a store and look for a Superman book, if they ask, where should I even start? You know, I want there to be a thing on the shelf right now. that's like, here's where you start, you know, action 1051, Superman one adventures one. Um, So those we're trying to give them all new arcs, like clear jumping on points, depending on what they're looking for. So they don't have to comb through, because I mean, I I am super proud of War World Saga, but I'm not sure it's like the entry point for anyone for Superman. It's it's more of, um, it's a deep exploration of who Superman is. But there's you know the costume's not there, Lois isn't there, Metropolis isn't there. It's um it's very much character study of Clark himself in a completely different context. Um, so if I if a new fan, somebody who wants to be a fan, was like, where do I start with Superman? Um, I would not give him War World Saga. I'd give him up till now. I'd give him All Star or, right. um, God, Man Superman for All Seasons. Season. Yeah. Or I mean, yeah, there's like maybe half a dozen like Touchstone series that I'd go to, um, and I want this to be one of those. So hopefully it'll be that for someone. Yeah, well, for me, War World Saga didn't really come together as a Superman story till the end. But but then then you blew me away at the end, and then then everything looked oh, back. I almost felt bad. I was like saying this doesn't feel like a Superman story because in the end and having gone back and reread it and I was like, okay, I was wrong. I admit it. <laughs> you, <laughs> you totally nailed the landing. Um, but I'm totally getting that, that, like you said, not, not necessarily the story structure feel of the triangle era in 1051, but right. certainly the, the tone of this celebration and it's metropolis and it's, it's all this other stuff. But at the same time, you know, that, that was some of the stuff you grew up on. It's the, you know, the stuff that I'm nostalgic for, you never, as a creator, want to repeat yourself. You 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 want want to honor the past or you know take inspiration from the past, but do your own thing. And the thing I think that's going to be most amazing, and I'm so excited for that we saw in 1050, in the whole Triangle era, it's it's you know post crisis Superman, uh, a less powerful Superman than we had pre crisis when he could move planets and do all kinds of things. Yeah, we had this awesome scene, this fight in space with Lex Luthor in 1050, and we were you and I were talking about it on Twitter. You're ramping his powers back up. Which has, I mean, it, it is all, everyone, it's almost been as long that he had that elevated level of powers in terms of years as he hasn't. It's almost been that long since, yeah. uh, since 85. So how totally. excited were you? Was that something you had in the back of your mind when you first got Superman? Hey, I want to power him up. I want to, you know, explore that and, and play with that a little bit. Yeah. Not even in the back of my mind. I was like, let's do this. <laughs> I, I have these old comics where he's like, He's got like he just flies in a straight line, and then you see these rings open up, and he's going back by decades. Like right. he, just, he just flies through time because he's that badass. Or he'll yeah, he's he's dragging 
you know, planets around by these giant chains or, you know, whatever. There's some stuff like that in All-Star as well that I really like. It's it's cool to see him. Like, he, I think he extends his bioelectric aura to, like, pull things along with him. He's not just making himself fly. He's making other things fly. That's what's happening in 1050. He's he's extending his bioelectric aura to, like, rip shit apart. He's not actually doing the the uh, techno, whatever it's called, that uh, that others can do. Um, but, yeah, I just want to see that. I want to see that power level. I've always – I had a interview – it's been a while now, but um, because when people saw that he was powered down for War World Saga, that was in part to make the whole gladiator thing make sense. Mm-hmm. But it was also in part to to help Grant's story make sense. Like the fact that Grant and Mikhail were doing the um, the Superman the Authority book, and his it shows Superman looking older, having lost a step. Um, putting together a team to kind of basically a team who collectively kind of make up his power set. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, I need, you know, it needed to kind of work. We need to have some synergy with the grant book. Right. So there were a lot of reasons for him to uh, lose a step power wise at the time, but most of it came, most of it was because you're playing in a larger sandbox with other creators. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and a uh, funny story about that. Uh, when we first started working on that stuff, I was under the impression that Grant's story was going to be kind of like an Elseworlds thing where we were seeing a different Superman that was not necessarily the continuity Superman, but that was not Grant's impression. Grant wanted it to be, you know, the Superman. And we were right. seeing him in a different costume and different powers. And when I found that out, having read what I'd read of his, of, uh, of the series so far, I mean, I'm not going to tell Grant shit about how to write Superman. Right, exactly. Um, so I was like, screw it, man. Let's make it work. Let's figure it out. Um, and that's when I we kind of figured out how to use the use the authority to make like the illusion thing where it's actually Enchantress and, and Manchester Black kind of, you know, falsely bringing his powers up <clears throat> after the radiation poisoning thing. Anyway, I'm getting way off track here, but. Um, yeah, I, I had an interview back then around that time. Someone was like, so what do you prefer? Um, like superpower Superman or like weaker Superman? How, where do you like his power levels to be? Like John Byrne era, blah, blah, blah. And you could tell that he was setting me up to talk about why weaker Superman was a better Superman. I was like, I want Superman as powerful as he can possibly be. <laughs> and it's like, well, what are you doing? <laughs> no, this is the story that we're telling right now. It doesn't mean that that's how I want to see him forever. I do want him to, you know, eventually have his costume back. Like it's not. It's not going to be world forever. That's just what we're doing right now. Yeah. Uh, well, and again, now we're putting him where I want him. I love seeing him when he can just do anything, you know? Right. Well, and that's, that's the challenge. We'll talk about it in a second, but I want, want to speak to that point you're making because here's the thing about the fortuitousness of, of somehow things, sometimes things just line up, you know, maybe it's serendipity or what have you, but it ends up being that, okay, you, you've told this war world story. He was depowered, you know, Grant did what he did. All of it worked really, really well. And we saw, like you said, it was a quintessential Clark story about what makes him heroic is not his powers. Now you can, now you can flip it and make him more powerful than he's been in a long time. But at the same time, we'll still see that he's Clark. He's still the same kind of hero. Exactly. That's his power should only be there to illustrate how incorruptible he is. Right. That he can, that he can do anything. And then he checks the kid's seatbelt in the back of the car after putting it back on the bridge. You know, it's, He's not a god. He doesn't levitate over us and be like, you know, thank you, peasants. Right. It's he's he's down with us. He's he's got his deadlines at the planet. He's he straightens his tie. He makes sure his kid brushes his teeth. 
Um, he cares about us. You know, he's like, he's, he is one of us. He shows us how best to be human. And I, I think that that contrast of showing someone who can, you know, drag planets around and fly through time and, you know, become intangible when he wants to, just from, you know, doing the flash thing and moving back and forth. And then like, you know, just checking the kid's seatbelt, those little things, like that's what shows how, how great he is. It's the contrast. Yeah. You mentioned earlier, you and, um, Joshua, Joshua Williamson, obviously, who's doing the regular Superman title, and then Tom Taylor, who's continuing John Kent's adventures in uh, Adventures of Superman, John Kent, how you all have different voices. But I, I will say one of the things specifically with you and Tom that's very similar and kind of to what you're speaking about here is it doesn't matter the level of power, what's inherent in these characters that makes them heroic, that makes them Superman. And Clark has instilled that in John, right? Like if you go and you read uh, the the Son of Kal-El run um, – it happened once. Tom talked about it when he was on recently. It happened once that that John actually punched somebody, and it was inadvertent. Uh, Tom actually wanted there to be like no actual violence on the on the behalf of John. And you have to think Superman, no, no matter at his most powerful, the thing that makes him most heroic and and is most powerful about him as a character is the fact that he doesn't just resort to I can solve this with my fist or I can solve this with brute force. It's the most heroic thing is him choosing not to use his powers. Would you say right. that's true? Yeah. I mean, it's, well, I like, I like seeing him. I mean, comics are visual medium and right. you, you always want those fist pumping moments. Um, I do try to show him using his powers um, and giving people visuals to look at that. They're like, just to blow people away and not just in the traditional way either. But I'm trying to actually show him using his powers, at least for the, for right now, I'm trying to show him using his powers in more creative ways where he's not just punching dudes. Right. Um, or just flying, you know, like I want to see him. He can do we know the the basic things that he can do. Now, what would that be like if we ramp those up two levels? Like, what can he do now? And like and not just I'm better, I'm stronger, I'm faster. My heat vision is even more powerful or whatever. Yeah. It's like, what are some creative ways that we can that we can do this? Like, I, you know, he we've established he can he can basically warp through space. He He can now travel so fast that. Things like concepts like space and time almost don't mean anything to him anymore. So how That's do you so cool. the con- yeah how do you how do you explore that in the concept of a fight? You know, mm-hmm. um, and I have this thing in my I guess it's kind of a spoiler, but it's not in a book yet, so it's just theoretical spoiler. <laughs> I I want to see him use time travel in on like kind of a smaller level in the concept of a fight, like. Um, you know, he's fighting a guy and suddenly a second Superman appears and punches in, and the guy's like, what just happened? And right. the idea being that something is about to happen that didn't go the way Superman wanted. So he just kind of fixes it on the fly. Right. Yeah. You know, like, awesome. stuff like that. I, um, anime, actually, anime and manga sometimes have kind of a step or sometimes a step ahead in the way that it makes things look so dynamic and just different. And I'm not really an anime guy at all, but I but I respect certain elements that I think we can learn from. And I want to I want to make the the fights just a little more um, a little more dynamic and interesting rather than just punching back and forth or just flying and cratering, you know. Yeah, I'll, I, when I think about crazy powers that he had, you know, power level, I think back to it's always the one where he that Silver Age classic story where he launches the little Superman out of his fist. Yeah, totally. <laughs> like, yeah, that's a funny. One. We can, yeah, let's see how far we could go and how how crazy. Right. We get. <laughs> yeah, uh, totally. but but as a as a storyteller, as a writer, do, do you have to be kind of um, kind of careful? Because I know one of the things, uh, especially pre-crisis, that the writers 
complain about sometimes the fans complain about it's like how do you challenge a guy or how do you tell interesting stories with someone who's so powerful like how do you come up with like credible threats for him and i know and i've had this conversation with dan jurgens a number of times and dan's always you give him challenges that challenge who he is as a person not necessarily physical challenges because you know he's superman he's going to overcome them but you know more like moral choices or you know play in that gray area so to speak so is that how you approach it or or do you think a like a dual approach physical and you know the other side of it as well um it's but yeah it's both i mean yeah it's just kind of a weird question because i i mean it's we've seen tons including jurgens like we've seen tons of physical threats like you know doomsday they just straight up beat each other to death (laughs) you know like it's uh there's you can always physically challenge Superman because it's all just on the page. But, um, but yeah, the, I mean, his weakness is how he, how much he loves everyone, how much he loves his family, especially like when he goes up to war world and they first get there, uh, Mongol gets way in his head. Um, like he's, he's taken, you know, nearly all the Philosians who, like that he could find and crucified them on the road to the arena. Mm-hmm. Like, here's the way, like, here's the way to find me, you know, and it wounds him deeply, you know, um, so that he just runs in blind and then he gets there and he, and he discovers, he finds Mongol ultra prepared. I mean, not just with the, the red, I mean, he, he replaced all the engines of war world with these star forges that, that create red suns, you know, for no other reason than to be ready for this moment. Mm-hmm. And he has this thing that he knows radiation poisons Superman. He has a kryptonite spear and he has the unmade and he's just like, he's so ready. There's just not a chance the Superman can win, but he, and he lures him in with all the things that he's done by sending the ship and the slaves. And like, it, it's all been this big, just plot, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's, that's how you threaten Superman. And when he gets there, the slaves don't want his help because of this, you know, this um, cult of pro- this like propaganda, crazy cult that's been going on on war world for years now, where they, they treat like to them, Mongol is Superman. Uh, and there yeah, was like us. Stockholm s- syndrome is dialed up to 11. Completely. Yeah. Like their <laughs> chains are a source of pride. Like they, yeah. you know, look how badass I am. Like each one of these rungs is someone I've killed and they, that's all they, that's all they treasure, you know? Uh, so for someone to try to take that away, they're like, you're not our Superman. We don't want you here. You know, those, there are plenty of ways to challenge Superman. That's how we did it with war world. But with, um, with what's coming now with Metallo, um, I guess I have this thing where I see all these villains in the rogues gallery and I want them to be more complicated, more, I want more threatening, more like more convincing and scary. And we're doing that now with Metallo and with him, it's more like he has, we see his motivations, why he's in it. He's um, he was content to just run out the clock and just let himself die in prison. So his sister will be okay. But then somebody else, you know, gets involved and puts him back on the board against his will. And we see it's kind of this, it becomes this crisis of like two families, like Metal is just trying to save the only person he cares about. And he's willing to kill people to do it for sure. Cause I mean, that's, I mean, who wouldn't, and then Superman's got his own family and we see, we're going to see that play out because he's got these new kids that they brought back from war world. We see them interact with John and that whole dynamic. It's um, there's, yeah, I don't know. I just, I think that the whole, how do you challenge Superman thing? Just, it's just a question that isn't thought through. Cause it's, there's, He's he's more vulnerable than any of us in the way that he cares about all life, but especially about the people who are dear to him. Yeah, it's 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 one hundred percent true. And you're right about Metallo. It's you know in the past to me he's been a little more of on kind of the mustache twirling, you know, fighting for yeah. fighting sake. Now that you've given him such great motivation, 
and he truly has nothing to lose. Like you said, he's he's kind of more dangerous than than he's ever been. Um, yeah, you know, that's how I see him. Yeah, yeah. he's and but it's but not but not for not for no reason. Like he's he definitely has the motivations for doing what he's doing, and he kind of doesn't even want to do it. Oh, he hundred percent doesn't want to do it. But again, that that he knows he has to, and I think that's what makes him more dangerous. Because for the first time I can ever remember, he's not fighting Superman for himself. He's doing it for somebody that he loves. Yeah, no, I'm really excited to show where it goes. Like we, we're going to see. Uh, we've always seen Metallo as kind of a like a Terminator. Mm-hmm. He's a very clear Terminator analog, and now we're going to see him like a Cronenberg movie monster. Because, <laughs> oh, nice. Because he's he's not just made he's not just a like a skeletal robot now his body that he has now is made essentially from the unmade warriors on Warworld they're like these necro cyborg warriors like when when the greatest warriors of Warworld die they are rebuilt and reanimated by the necromancers and alchemists up there and put back out there to fight and um, there's this crazy technology they used to do that. And it's not, he's not just a robot with a brain in it anymore. Now it's more complicated. He's kind of like, yes, the body is basically metal, but it also changes and evolves. And the things that we're about to see out of this book are super creepy. <laughs> I'm, I'm really glad they let me do it, man. I, was, I wasn't sure, honestly. But we're going to see a, a new kind of Metallo that um, he's got this voice in his head. Like he's got the, the Lex the Lex Luthor, like... Uh, um, oh, what does he call it? Lex, we saw it in the suit. Like he put his he put his consciousness into his old battle suit and went up to Warworld. Right. That's that's what's in Metallo now too. He's got like this basically a holographic Lex Luthor kind of bossing him around, and um, we're going to see that relationship change. And it's not quite what we it's not quite what you think yet. Yeah, it sounds like Clark's uh, lucky that he's got this higher power level. If Metallo's that dangerous. Yeah, no, I uh, God, I'm so stoked for what's coming. I'm really excited. And Rafa yeah. Sandoval is killing it on the art. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about uh, about Rafa. On, on Warworld, we we had a variety of artists. I'm sure that was for a variety of reasons. I mean, first of all, it's hard for anybody with the level of detail these arts, artists put in these days to do, you know, a really long run. Plus, uh, like Daniel Samper, who was on with you for a little while, got pulled off to do uh, Dark Crisis, obviously. Yeah. Uh, and then obviously the accelerated release date and, and what have you. Um do you prefer when you can kind of plan things out with, with an artist for, you know, at least an arc? Uh, and and how has the collaboration been with Rafa? Yeah, I mean, Rafa is an ideal collaborator. And he's he's way into what we're doing on action, too. He wants to stay for a long time. Um, just because of schedule, as you say, like these days, like most artists need more than one month to do one issue at the level that they're doing it. Mm-hmm. And um, every now and then, Rafa will have to step out for the, to take one month off to get caught up in the on the following issue. But for the most part, he's going to be on the book all year. Like he'll, there'll be probably ten issues out from him this year on action. Um, and yeah, his his art is just so incredible. He blew me away on on uh, Black Adam and like all the other stuff I found of his, and um, the pages that I'm seeing from him now. I mean, we, we collaborate a lot. I send him a lot of photo ref and art ref when I'm talking about things. Like here's what I'm envisioning, but I but I encourage him to to run with stuff and make changes, and and he always does, and it's always for the better. It's just a really, really fun relationship. He's a, he's a total pro, consummate pro. Yeah, that's uh, that's fantastic. Well, you mentioned the Theologian kids um, and their relationship with with John Kent. Uh, last time you're on, we talked a little bit about uh, you, you know you're following Bendis, who made this decision to age John up, and you know it kind of had people on both sides. Some people liked it, some people didn't. And we, we, you talked about wanting to uh, explore that. 
and Tom has explored it as well, but it, it seems like we're maybe going to get a deeper exploration of, of maybe things from John's side and, and maybe some idea of how much he misses it because all of a sudden he's probably, at least to me, it seems like he's seen himself in these two kids that, that Lois and Clark are adopting. And, you know, maybe thinking back, well, you know, these were the years that I, that I missed. So, um, you know, again, talking about how much Clark cares about his family, I imagine that, that that's a kind of a concept that's really uh, right to uh, explore from a dramatic standpoint. Is that, is that true? Yeah. I'm really excited to show that relationship between John and the kids. He, um, you know, he feels the loss of those years. I mean, not as much as Clark and Lois do. I mean, they really feel it. Right. Um, and, you know, John, we've seen John for the most part at peace with it, but now he sees these two kids who are basically the age that he was when he was taken. Mm-hmm. And um, he sees, and, you know, they, and Clark, I mean, the John's loss is the reason he was able to become so quickly attached to these kids. Like they were very clearly like his, his way of coping with, mm-hmm. with the loss of his own son, or at least those years, those formative years. Um. So, and now John's seeing that and how, you know, how they're just wholeheartedly taking the kids into their lives. Um, so even though he's, I mean, John is very much his, his parents' son and he's not, you know, malicious or bitter or jealous towards the kids or anything, but on some deep level, he does feel something that he's surprised by. He does feel a little bit sad at what he's seeing. He's like, Oh damn, I didn't expect to feel this way, but like, yeah, I didn't just have, like they, have they're getting, they're getting their own costumes and they look kind of like minded and, and um, yeah. So we're going to see that. I mean, <laughs> but some, sometimes people will read stuff in the book, like something, something big will happen. There's all in, in comics, there's all these sudden moves where something changes drastically. But then it, you know, it kind of comes back to status quo at some point. There's all these illusions of change. People will see someone in the book like you killed so and so. You hate, you know, yeah. I hate you. You hate us. You hate DC. DC hates you. Um, so it's not that they're going to be, not that they're going to be sad forever, <laughs> but it's, uh, but there's an there's an arc there that I want to explore. I want to I want to see how the kids see John. I want to see how John sees them. I want to see how how it changes John's relationship with his parents. You know, so we're going to see all that play out. Yeah, we got a little uh, snippet of, of, you know, kind of when I think John real, at least for me, it seemed like John realized, oh, yeah, these kids are the age I was. And, you know, they're going to get to experience something that that I missed out on. Um, yeah. And I yeah, I immediately thought, well, that's that's so realistic. Right. Like if this really happened to somebody. You know, like f- forget about the superpower stuff, that's just a family dynamic and a realistic human reaction. Yeah. And so I think it's something that. You know, some people can relate to more than others, but regardless, it, it grounds them and reminds us that this is a family and, you know, they do have emotions. They do care about each other. And, you know, in that way, it makes them relatable despite their, you know, fantastical powers. Yeah. Those, those moments really matter, man. Like it's, I mean, how many, like in the, if I can refer back to all-star again, like think of just like half a dozen moments that you remember from all-star and number one for me is always where Superman saves the girl, saves the jumper. hundred percent. You know? And that, I mean, I got to hang out with Grant in person in, in, in uh, Glasgow not so long ago. And Grant said that that scene saved somebody's real life. Like wow. that, that had a real impact on someone um, to the point where they're alive now because of it. <laughs> I mean, that's, 
that's the power of those moments. You know, I, I, the, the visual, the bombast and the, and the spectacle is super fun and it's a visual medium. And you got to have it. But um, those, those emotional moments are really the ones that we, that, that cling to us, you know? So I'm trying to, I'm trying to make sure that every issue has those where it's not just, not just punching shit or just, you know, seeing villains do scary things, but seeing moments or seeing who people are. And uh, just these moments that remind us who Superman is and who we're supposed to be just inspire people and make us really invested in those characters. The the scene that I'm, that I probably put the most care into is that in, in 1051 is that family scene where they're all together. Yeah. Playing um, games and stuff. Yeah. This yeah. It, it really matters. I want to see who those people are. I want to define all the characters in the super family, not just by how they look, but you know, how they interact and what they call each. Like if someone has a pet name for one of them, I want to hear what it is. I want to see which one's, which one's crypto kind of, kind of takes to um, just make them feel real. Yeah. We don't, I don't want to spoil it for everybody. Cause I want you guys to experience it for yourself, but I got to tell you, Philip, that when John opens the, the closet and what he sees, <laughs> that was, that was so good. Uh, Thank you, man. I appreciate it. <laughs> I wasn't sure they were going to let me do it. I was like, all right, I'll just put it out there. We'll see what they say. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was awesome. Thank you, man. Uh, well, I, I, you know, we did mention that, you know, there's a couple of other, uh, stories here. Um, the, the Lois and Clark story where, where John is still younger and then the, the Power Girl story. Um, you know, they're completely separate stories. They don't necessarily tie in. Uh, but will they at some point or how much are you talking to Dan or, or talking to Leia? Uh, or is it all, you guys are just all completely uh, on your own? Um, I'm not, so I am talking to Leah. I'm not talking to Dan much, actually. I don't, I mean, I know what he's doing mm-hmm. um, and <laughs> he'll forgive me if I don't, if I don't give him notes, I don't give Dan Jurgens notes, but I, I know what he's doing and what's coming. Um, but uh, they will, yeah, not every story will tie in directly to the, to the pages of the, of the leads, but some of them will, like there, there is some stuff. There are some, some threads actually that I'm kind of spooling out in the leads that will turn into other backups. So there will be some crossover and I'm really glad the power girls in it. Um, no matter how, there's a lot of characters in the lead book, but no matter how many I put in there, someone's always going to ask about somebody else who's not there. Like where's right. Jimmy? Like where's, where's the, where's the horse? Where's whatever, <laughs> you know, um, everyone wants something else that that's not there. There's not enough, not in space for everyone. So, and power girl is a big one that kind of ought to be there. So I'm really glad that we, that she has a backup. Yeah. I mean, we don't want to kill Rafa, you know. We want him to stay on the book. Yeah, exactly. Characters. I mean, it's already, um, you know, already a lot. Yeah, it's already a lot. And yeah, going again, going back and mentioning that Triangle era where it, it did have that family feel because it was the greater um, supporting cast with, you know, right. Planet reporters and and all that. And now we're getting um, the Superman family, and you're really, you're really kind of poking the bear with Lex as well. I, I did want to mention <laughs> yeah. that there's, I, again, I won't spoil, but there's a specific something about the new um, irons building that, uh, you know, there's a line in there about it. And I was like, huh, that's not going to sit too well with Lex. So it, <laughs> right. you're really uh, exploring Lex as a, as a villain. He, you know, most recently with the year of the villain stuff, we had this, this Lex who was really kind of maniacal and manipulative, kind of had taken away from the my favorite kind of Lex, which was more of that kind of businessman manipulator. That that was a Lex that was kind of more hands-on. And it seems like you're bringing him back more to kind of the puppet master using other people to, to do uh, the dirty work. Um, do you prefer one versus the other? Uh, talk a little bit about your, your use of Lex here. For me. Yeah. Lex is, 
I mean, Lex is one of the ultimate Superman villains. I mean, I want every villain that appears in the book to be like a, a twisted mirror image of Superman in some way. Like, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, Mongol was definitely that in War World Saga. As that was when, if you define Superman as the champion of the oppressed, as he's defined in issue one, um, then the opposite of that would be a, like an intergalactic slaver, right? Someone right. who has this crazy cult of slavery. His his whole I mean, everything about him is is wrapped around the concept of dominance. The way that the Fremen of Dune are wrapped around water scarcity. Like, it's just everything. Mm-hmm. Um, Metallo is the opposite of Superman in that we have all these iconic images of Superman deflecting bullets, right? He's the bulletproof man. Um, like, destroying a gun or bullets ricocheting off of him. And Metallo is like this living gun. He's this, in the, in the story that we're about to tell, he's this... He was at one point a well-meaning kid who liked to draw and liked his sister and everything seemed to be going okay until his dad brought home a gun and told him to hide it. And he kept it. And he's just fascinated with the gun. And his whole life, he just slowly becomes this gun. And now he is a gun. Um, So Metallo is kind of the living representation of that image. The way that the War World Saga was a representation of Superman breaking the chain, you know? Mm -hmm. Lex is maybe more than anyone, the opposite of Superman. He's a a living mortal man who doesn't have Superman's fantastical powers, but he is that corruption that power is supposed to bring, right? Absolute power corrupts absolutely. And Superman is the living antithesis to that idea. Like he's, he is absolute power that is governed by absolute humility and compassion and love and humanity. And Lex is the corruption that he should have been. Um, and in my book, for one thing, Josh is using Lex intensely in in Superman number one and and forward. In the Superman series that Josh and Jamal are doing, Lex has a very prominent presence in that book. And um, I don't want to step on their toes, but also I kind of I'm I kind of prefer it that way. I like Lex to be kind of this shadow that kind of looms over everything, like a presence that is felt more than seen. Yeah, um, and that's what he is in our book. He's very much around. And um, he's the one that put Metallo on the board and aimed Metallo at Steelworks like a gun. Mm-hmm. But he's not necessarily punching dudes out in the battle suit. You know, you're going to see Lex more directly in the Superman series, but he's ever present in in action, just as kind of like the shadow, like the the eye of Sauron, kind of way in the distance, just kind of watching everything. Yeah, I see. That's my favorite version of Lex because me too, man. Uh, that's the version I think that's most. Dangerous, right? Like Tom explored it a little bit in the, I think it was the Superman Son of Kal-El annual where John was kind of got fooled, you know, it's that, it's that idea. And again, go back to the triangular. We saw this in triangular as well. There were times where Clark wasn't sure, like something would go wrong or, you know, some villain would attack or whatever. And he was never quite sure is Lex behind this or not. You know, it's that, that idea right. that he really can be far reaching and have his fingers and everything, but you can never make anything stick. That feels more menacing than, you know, him out there in his suit and you know, for sure it's him. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm, I remember the old days too, where he was, you know, Lex Luthor's quote unquote son was around and Lex was supposedly yeah. dead and all that. I was like, his, his presence was still felt not, not seen as such, but I don't know. I just love that. I love that. He's, he's this, um, he's a supervillain on the level that he's almost more powerful when he's not in the panel. Yeah, exactly. So, exactly. Yeah, he's a he's a he's the narcissist. He's a creature of yeah, purest ego, and I like him best when he's plotting, not when he's punching. Well, what's been the biggest challenge now that you've 
you know, finished War World. It's complete. We're entering this new era, this dawn of DC, the celebration of Superman and his family. Because like we've said, there's a huge supporting cast. Um, and it sounds like you're having a lot of fun exploring that and ramping up his powers. What's been the most challenging part? Is it having such a large cast and making sure everybody has a chance to, you know, have a little bit of screen time or something else? Uh, what have you found uh, the most difficult to kind of juggle? That is actually pretty much it. <laughs> having a huge cast in it. Because, I mean, my the reason that the whole cast is in there, well, there are several reasons, but one, I mean, one of them being that I want this series to become, I really wanted this to be kind of a love letter to the old giant issues that has everything and kind of a celebration of everything that Superman is of this whole Superman mythology. Um, and so it made sense for the whole cast to be in there in some way. Um, also, it was kind of an answer to fans during the War World Saga. Because, I mean, War World Saga was just very much all about Clark. I mean, the authority was there. There were new characters, but it was uh, just boil Clark down, like strip off the powers, the costumes, the cast, the city, everything. Just take it all away. Just put him like just throw him in the mud on War World and make him fight and see who he is. Is he is he really the champion of the press when he has nothing and he is himself one of them? Um. But that means we don't have Lois and we don't have Metropolis. We don't have the, the the glasses and fedora. We don't have, you know, Jimmy or his kids or anything. So, um, you know, and I, and the fans clearly missed all that. And I, you know, people were like, oh, you hate Lois. Like all the, <laughs> lots of people just take a lot of stuff very personally. It's like, you hate Lois, you hate Superman. And I was kind of anxious to write Superman and Lois together, but it just didn't make sense for the story that we were doing for Lois to be there. Uh, but now that we're back, I really want to give everyone like everything they missed, like all, all the stuff that um, that we had to take away for the story that we were telling then. I want a story that celebrates all of that. It gives everyone all the, all the pieces that make Superman who he is at his core. Um, so that gives us kind of a tricky mission statement in that. Um, so first of all, we're making Metropolis the like the proper city of tomorrow through Steelworks. Steelworks is bringing metropolis into the future with new technologies with a slightly updated skyline and everything like there's huge changes coming but it's going to make metropolis as hopefully as iconic and distinct as gotham is mm. um having such a big cast but also making sure that they all get some development time not just waving in the background like hey i'm in this too but like right. really something to do and a way in which to grow or change or experience something you know, I want all of them to have their own arc. Kind of my my standing rule for introducing all those characters is like they all have to have an arc on their own and not just, you know, a flyby. Right. So having all those characters in there and doing right by all of them, but also keeping the book super Clark centric because it's, it's still very much a Superman book. And I want every page just to show that it is still a Clark Kent Superman book. Yeah, um, so yourself a tough task. <laughs> It's a lot. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's tricky, but it matters. You know, I really, this, this gig means a lot to me and I'm not taking it for granted. I want, I want, I want readers to, to know who every one of those characters is. Um, I remember one of the big critiques, I remember somebody raking, there was like this big debate about the quality of the star Wars prequels. And there was this one slam that I'll never forget. It really stuck with me. Um, and somebody said, um, Describe any one of the new characters in Star Wars Episode One without, um, like, with one word, and it can't, like, not their, not their appearance, but like who they are as a character. And it just kind of made you think about, like, what you know, 
and not even the new characters, even somebody like Obi-Wan, like, like, who are they? Like with, um, you know, Han Solo, you could say scoundrel or, you know, some of the earlier ones you, with the original trilogy, you could describe them a little more easily with who they are and what they want and what their personality is like. And it, it was more difficult in, in the, in the original trilogy. And that's something I, I still think about that line sometimes. I'm like, how would I describe this character in one word? Uh, not how they look, but who they are. Cause right. I feel, I still feel like people see like, the Spider-Man, uh, Jesus, excuse me, the Superman of China, uh, Kara, Connor, you know, you've got the, you know, I feel like people define them by how they look. Um, I want to, I want people to know who they are, you know? So to do that and also keep Superman very much at the front, at the forefront of the whole story, make a story about him through these other characters. It is a lot to ask, but it's, it's totally worth it. And it's really important to me. Yeah, You know, I think you've laid some really good, groundwork from that from your earliest work going back to your future state uh stories you know uh specifically that story where the people are kind of sitting around the campfire describing you know who who superman is to them um so i think you know going back to, to the earliest time you've done a, a good job at least with with clark now maybe you need to bring in uh, some of the others so it'll be yeah. interesting to see um see how that's done yeah uh, thanks well, i mean you can it's it's done uh, to me, at least, it's done through the relationships they have with the others. It's, it's, it's um, yeah, it's just really interesting to see John interact interact with the kids, see him react to the kids, like how it, we see who he is as a person by how he reacts to them, kind of being in his chair now, right? And uh, we see what kind of person he is at his core by seeing how he plays with them and what he says to them. And Kara, like Kara, always has always felt to me my my impression of Kara is different from a lot of other writers. To me, I kind of see her as almost like the matriarch of the whole L family. I mean, she's, she's the oldest really. I mean, she, when she was sent to, to crypt uh, to earth, she was the older cousin meant to protect him. Mm -hmm. And even though she's younger now, kind of, she's still the only one that's really from Krypton that remembers it. Mm -hmm. Um, So I don't know. She kind of has this, she's super optimist and, and, hopeful and caring, but she's, there's like a little kernel of sadness in there. And um, I just, I have to remind myself of what she's been through every time I write her and make sure that I am respectful of it. Uh, yeah, all you so, have to do is read uh, Tom's super, super girl, uh, woman of tomorrow. <laughs> right. It's mind. awesome. Right. Yeah. It's so good. Uh, you know, one thing you said right there is really interesting to me, you know, defining these characters in their relationships, but also with the idea of keeping Clark kind of the centric character it's also who they are in in context to, to him. And it goes back to something else you said earlier, which is regardless of how John sees what he missed in these other two kids, he's not bitter, he's not resentful because he is his parent's son. So, you know, right there, that's again, that's, yeah, John's maybe feels what he missed, but because of the context of who he is, because of who his parents are, because of who Clark is, again, that that's something that defines him. So it's just... Uh, for you, I imagine a matter of it kind of expanding that to the whole the whole cast, and we'll get a, a better, greater understanding of who these characters are. Yeah, I hope so. It's yeah, John is um, like very he's very much he's Superman too. You know, he's he's his own Superman, and um, seeing who he is in contrast with Connor. Connor's so different. I uh, writing Connor is a total joy. Like, Con- Connor's just really fun to write, and he's he's more like. I dare you kind of attitude. I really like it. Um, and seeing him kind of, kind of broing off of Kenan and like the way that I, I see those guys as being like fast friends and 
I, I really looking forward to, to uh, showing more character moments with with John and Kenan, excuse me, with uh, Connor and Kenan and how just not aggressive, but how like just how they interact the way that best bro guys do, you know? Yeah, 100 percent. Yeah, I totally that scene in the apartment here you're talking about it earlier. Yeah, what they were doing, I totally flashback to when I was their age with my buddies sitting on the couch playing exactly yeah. and what have you. So that was cool. Um, and again, I, you mentioned it earlier, this idea of getting to write Lois and Clark and, you know, long time listeners of the podcast will know my wife is named Lois. Totally coincidence that I didn't <laughs> marry her because it didn't hurt though. I will, I will say so. I, I'm very interested in seeing how that plays out, but I think probably my favorite thing, well, at least maybe tied with this idea of leveling the power up is giving him his secret identity back. Cause I feel like it's so inherent to the character and you had such a fantastic way of doing it with using Manchester black. And it was so brutal. Manchester's always been this person that you kind of love to hate. He was just such a dick <laughs> right. all the time. I know. But even he gets his come up and finally, and I actually felt bad for the guy. So, you know, credit to your writing, but uh, how long did you, know? was it quite a while you knew, okay, once war world's over, I want to give him back a secret identity. Did you know you were going to use Manchester black? Like give us some, uh, some background on the, on rolling back the secret identity. Um, I, Excuse me. I did not know that we were going to do it right away. I um, I've kind of shied away from exploring the secret identity thing too much. Well, honestly, it hasn't come up much because he's been in War World. It didn't really matter up there. Right. I did one thing I did like about it about having it out there is that he could introduce himself as Clark, and I love that because I I feel like he would not. I feel like he'd feel a little weird calling himself Superman because the word just inherently means I am more than you. Right. You know, that's, that's not the name he would have chosen for himself. It's not the word he did choose for himself. It's just what, I guess, what he's that's what he is now. Um, but uh, what we lost from it, it kind of, it kind of stifles the the whole Lois and Clark relationship. Like, there's no that thing that they share that made them who they were. Now it's Superman and Lois Lane. Like the whole Lois and Clark thing is now not there really, mm-hmm. and that's that is a loss. Um, that that was a loss. Um, it wasn't really – I was not the driving force behind the the returning of the secret identity. It was actually uh, – Tom wanted to bring it back. Josh wanted to bring it back. My Our editor wanted to bring it back, hardcore. And um, I was actually the one – not the naysayer, but I was like, I think we should talk about it first. Just, just slow your roll and let's talk about what we're losing, what we're gaining. Right. Let's discuss it. Um, I feel like there was – it was such a – like a – I didn't want to do it on instinct. You know, um, but we talked about the stories that were going to be coming soon in these three series going forward. And there are specific things coming up in which it will be important for them to be there. Um, and also. The the just the iconography of the shirt opening, like of he, you know, Clark Kent being one of us. Walking around, living his life, doing his thing, he's got his day job. Um, <clears throat> got his glasses on and then something happens and then one of us becomes something exceptional. Like any one of us can do this. Like now I'm going to take action and I'm going to save everyone. And just seeing that a normal person become Superman is this image that even now just literally going like this, I got chills just now. It's like, Oh, I just love that. As a kid, it meant so much to me to see it, to see Christopher Reeve doing it or seeing it on the page. Um, It's just this moment that just, you can almost hear the trumpet fanfare in it. Mm -hmm. Um, And this series now is a celebration of everything Superman is. And so we, we need the glasses and the tie and the shirt, you know, we just need it. And we, we need, we need it for specific beats that are coming, but we also need just the, just the way it makes you feel. 
Um, so that's what we gain, which is super significant. Um, one thing we did lose is that, I mean, in the short term, I see why, why Brian did it. I, um, it changes all of Superman's relationships, like his relationships with all of his cast, but also his villains. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, you know, that would have been interesting to see. And just the way that, um, that all the events that came afterward, like the war world saga and future state and all that, that just, that was a circumstance of everything that was going on line wide. It's not like we planned to, to not explore the secret identity. It just kind of wasn't, it wasn't really a good, good time. moment for us to really get into a super deep, um, but it needed to be there for the stories that are coming next. So um, as far as Manchester Black being the, well, okay. The, the idea for how it was going to be put back in the bottle, the idea was Josh's, I believe. Um, but we didn't know the mechanics of like, like the, the pseudoscience, like comic science, like how's it going to work? We didn't really get into all that until closer to the actual day. And we were talking about what to do and it's, we kind of settled on it being like taking it, like sacrificing a person. Like who do we have? We need like a telepath. And they, yeah. we were all talking about it. I'm like, damn it. I've got a guy like that. Yeah. And I didn't, I didn't want it to be Manchester black. We'd already, I mean, it was already kind of hinted at in Grant's series that Manchester black was kind of like a, was a traitor that he was already kind of, at least he got into Superman's good graces um, under false pretenses. So it made sense for him to be kind of in cahoots with Lex the whole time. It just it just fell into place. It made sense for it to be Manchester. So like so I I offered him up and we we did our thing. And plus it gave Manchester that that really great opportunity at the end to to give Lex the big middle finger with yeah. his with his final breath, you know. Yeah, and it's comics. And who's to say he can't come back in some way? Exactly. Some fashion? Well, that's that's what we said in the in the meeting. It was like you know we can there's it's comics we can totally bring this back. We don't even really know for sure that he's dead. Not on the not on the page. Yeah. So, well, again, it was a fantastic moment, made total sense, you know, and and like you said, comic book science. So (laughs) it was a fantastic moment. Well, uh, it's been great chatting about Superman to fill up. I'm I'm so excited for the future. Uh, We do have a little bit of time left. I got to compliment you on the other side of the street, the work you're doing on Alien over at Marvel. Thank you. Oh, my God. You know, I've been a big Alien fan. I I know you're a huge Alien fan, probably a bigger Alien fan than I am. Um. But what you have done in adding to the mythos in little ways has been so fun. I know you're such a great world builder. I got to ask, I mean, these little ideas of planning things like the the steel team or religions or other things, like, are these things you've been like building in the back of your mind, being such an alien fan for so long that you're like, if I ever got to tell a story, I'm going to add in this little thing and this little thing and really just enrich the world? Actually, no, man. I, um, well, okay. When I was a kid, like what I having seen the first couple, I mean, I, I lived, I grew up in like the total sticks, like darkest Kentucky, like no internet, like barely TV. Right. Um, and the only versions of the alien films I ever saw, the first two were on TV, like with commercials and stuff. Um, so when the, so when I'd seen the first two, I don't even remember how old I was, but I'm sure it was way too young, but I, I was just completely fascinated with the whole idea, the whole life cycle of it. Mm-hmm. And I, it's, you know, I was that kid in the back of class drawing whilst, you know, while everyone else was doing geometry. And I would, I would kind of fantasize like, you know, the aliens look like humans, but I mean, what if it came out of like a cat or something? And I, um, and I would draw versions like, I bet they look, I look like, I bet they look like the thing they come out of so that they can come out of, you know, they can exist in any world anywhere. And I would do all these crazy, like, you know, dragon aliens and snake aliens and whatever. So when the third movie came out, and they showed a quadruped. Mm-hmm. 
that ran on four legs because it came out of a dog or an ox, depending on the version that you saw. I, I strapped it to Chuck Liddell, like, like, it's, <laughs> like this is made just for me, man. I just, this is, I've been waiting for this my whole life. Um, so in that regard, I, I made those kind of plans, I guess. I really wanted to show a new, a different kind of alien breed that would not completely jump the shark, like a literal shark alien or some other crazy thing. Right. Um, I wanted to feel like, because I'm starting off the the Marvel chapter of alien comics, mm-hmm. I wanted to keep it feeling like the movies. Um, Dark Horse explored all kinds of crazy shit and, and they're great. I mean, I, I love those comics. They don't feel like the movies though. It feels like its own, its own universe kind of. Mm-hmm. You've got like, you know, Android xenomorphs chomping cigars and and talking English and it just doesn't feel like it doesn't feel plausible that you would see those things on the screen right and kind of my mission going forward in in those comics was to make them feel like they belong on the shelf next to the films um so when we did the so in the first one we did the alpha the alpha xenomorph and then in the next arc we do the the what do we call them the two in in the script I call them tubermorphs because the, the little critters that they come out of, they call them the the locals call them tubers, like right. the the local alien. Um, so in that regard, yeah, I guess I was kind of planning. I was just like waiting for the moment when I can introduce a new kind of xenomorph, um, without making it totally ridiculous. Aside from that, no, I honestly I never dreamed that I could do an alien comic. I I just it just never occurred to me that I would have that opportunity. I, in fact, I was on a podcast and somebody asked me like, what, what license would you want to do if you could do any kind of license talking about video games or movies? And I think I just kind of, I wasn't expecting that question. And like, I think I said like the last of us or something, a video game that I liked. Mm-hmm. And the guy said, Oh, I would have thought alien. And I, I just had this moment. Like I, 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 I do alien has, has never occurred to me. Like I, that, that actually is a much better answer. <laughs> um. So yeah, but most of those ideas came after I got the call. I found out that Marvel was doing the alien license with, along with everyone else on the internet. Mm-hmm. And I reached out to my editor about it, which I never do. I never ask for stuff. Um, but unbeknownst to me, they were somebody in the office was already kind of going to bat for me. Like we should ask Philip. And I didn't know that. Um, so I, I made this big pitch and everything. No, I, all those ideas came after they actually, they asked, asked me to do it. And, um, and then I was like, here's all the crap we can do. <laughs> Yeah. Well, anyway, uh, fantastic job. Uh, if that was your goal to make it feel like the movies, because I, I say that every time I review them, I'm like, man, this just it feels like it fits, like you said, right next to Alien 2, you know, no, oh, thanks right there. It's, it's high just, praise. I, I, yeah. I love those movies so much. Yeah, it's, it's so much fun. Um, and I'm, I'm not I will not do, do you the disservice of asking you which one you have more fun writing. Superman or uh, or aliens, but but what I am curious about is is it a different headspace? Do you do you like work on Superman one week or one day, or do you have to kind of separate, or are you able to just switch easily uh, between one or the other? Oh man, it's it it is yeah, it's a very different headspace. I sometimes I, there are days when I have to go back and forth, but um um sometimes I'll put I got a record play in my office, and so I'm, I'll put on the 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 uh, the uh, the score to the original film sometimes when I, when I'm writing. Um, but yeah, for, I mean, Superman, man, it's like, I'm, there's this weight to it. There's a responsibility to it that I take so seriously. Like we're trying to tell stories about the best of humanity, the very best of us um, and what we're supposed to be. And I try to give those moments in this, in the story um, that make like just these, just a, a line or a moment 
that they can walk away from that makes them, yeah, just makes them just get chills. Like, oh, I just want to be that. I want to be Superman where you hear John Williams music and everything. It has to be so hopeful and inspiring. I'm trying to do what, what Grant did with that page with the jumper, you know? Right. Yeah. Um, or that moment in the film where he, you know, Superman with the helicopter and, you know, she's like, who's, you know, who's got you. And he kind of smiles right. at her, but there's no, but there's no ego in it. It's mm-hmm. just, you know, it's just like, I'm your friend, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to help you. Um, and alien is all about, it's like this nihilist, like story about this, this presence, this unknowable evil out in the universe just waiting for us to stick our head up so it can, it can kill us. Um, yeah, almost complete opposites. I don't complete know. opposite, complete opposite. It's like, that's, you know, there's no hope, there's no light. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, the, the first page that I wrote on alien issue one kind of sums it up. Like it's, you know, there's a darkness out there that's deeper than just the absence of light. Yeah. Exactly. Um, it's about that. It's about that, that, that knowledge that the thing that's out there, like it's just waiting for us so we can kill us and that, and just like the deep, you know, mistrust of corporations, so it's yeah, very different headspace. Very much glass half empty. Hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah, uh, and you have an incredible artist that you're uh, collaborating with. There, we mentioned Rafa uh, Bjorn Behrens, who's doing the alien stuff. is is awesome as well. And uh, these uh, comics is a perfect medium to tell both of these stories, whether it's Superman and the celebration of of hope in the DC universe, or this nihilistic evil out there in the, in space where no one can hear you scream. Uh, comics, uh, I mean, are just the perfect medium. So. Uh, highly encourage everybody if you're not reading Philip's books, these these two, uh, they're both great to pick up and they scratch different itches. So fantastic. For sure. So again, Philip, thank you so much for your time. Uh, really appreciate it. Keep doing what you're doing. And uh, as we're winding down here, anything else that you have to uh, to let people know about that's out there on the stands or coming up? Uh, anything to uh, to tease? Yeah, actually. Well, action is ongoing. I'm going to be on it for a long time, I hope. Um Alien, I cannot say the same, sadly. I did have to step away from Alien recently for bandwidth reasons. Um, I don't think that's out there, so I'm not sure if I'm going to get in trouble for saying that. But uh, but uh, I'm going to finish the arc that I'm doing. And um, yeah, I can't tell you what's coming, but it's Alien's in good hands going forward, though. Um, but I God, I love that series. Um, 007 is ongoing from... Uh, from Dynamite. Well, actually, it's, an, it's a mini series, but we just announced there's going to be more Bond coming. So look for 007 and a follow up series, also from Dynamite. Um, I just signed a contract for a creator own thing finally. It's been a little too long, but I'm doing a creator own thing later this year. And I've got a huge big two announcement coming out probably next month. I really wish it was out already so we could talk about it, but probably about a month from now, uh, it'll be announced and I'm super stoked about it. It'll be scratching yet another itch, very unlike Superman, but one I'm really excited about, but, um, but I'm not giving up Superman for anything. I'll be doing action comics for as long as they let me. Yeah. Until they pry it from your cold dead fingers. Right. Completely. <laughs> well, it's good news that there's going to be more Philip Kennedy Johnson books out there. Uh, yeah. Bond. I, I imagine uh, I didn't know you were on bond. I'm going to have to start reading James Bond books. I dip in on them from time to time. Um, they haven't to me had the same feel of the movie, but based on your track record with alien, I'm expecting good things. So yeah, thanks. I hope so. I was curious about, I mean, I did not grow up with bond the way that I did with Superman. Mm -hmm. Um, I honestly, the old movies always felt, felt a little campy to me, but then I really kind of fell in love with them with, with the Craig era. Right. Um, the good, the the best of the Craig movies are really good. And I, I love that tone. I love that. He's, um, 
the way he describes himself as a blunt instrument. He's not like it's the um, he's not the foppish kind of like overly sw- like almost like cartoonishly suave version right. that he sometimes is. He's yeah, a guy. Like, he sees himself as like a blue collar killer that kind of doesn't feel any particular way about it. And I, I love that physicality and kind of just uh, I don't know. It just has this attitude that I really love. And yeah, I um, think, uh, there's a lot of people that feel that the Craig era is the best era because it's closest to the original books by Fleming where, yeah, he wasn't, yeah, he had a way with the ladies, but like you mentioned, the blunt, blunt instrument, you know, it wasn't. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's that aspect I like the best. And um, yeah, he's certainly arrogant, but it's not, it's not, it's not just about the, the tux, you know, mm-hmm. there's a guy under there that, that kills people. And he, you know, he has this, this kind of broken brokenness to him as a result. He's great. I love that character. And I kind of wanted to see him as an actual spy and not just a secret agent that blows shit up. Like it's, if he's a spy, he's the worst spy ever. Right. According <laughs> by, by the movies, he goes in, gives everyone his real name, goes right <laughs> for the bad guy's girlfriend, yep. shoots something out of a volcano. It's like every, everyone knows who he is. Um, I wanted to see him, you know, through the, through the lens of espionage mm-hmm. and um, questions of like patriotism and, and in war and, you know, doing stuff in the shadows so they've let me do like more john like Carré kind of version of him that's really fun well, can't wait to check it out i uh, also can't wait to to find out about your your big two and your creator own so in, in my mind you're saying that and all i can think was well that's just another reason to have you back on sooner oh, than thank later i'd be happy yeah. to sincerely yeah. it's always a great show yeah it's been far, far too long uh since you've been on so uh why don't you remind everybody where they can find you online so when these uh announcements do come out and these new series do come out People uh, will know about it and know to uh, to ask their retailers, where's the best place to follow you? Yeah. So I, I have a website. It's philipkennedyjohnson.com, which I need to update, <laughs> but it's there. Um, I'm on Facebook under my full name. I'm on Instagram under Philip Kennedy Johnson with underscores between each word. Twitter at Philip K. Johnson. And so, yeah, pretty much wherever you want to find me. And um, yeah, please look there for those announcements and I'll keep the books coming. Yep. And I'll put uh, links to the social media and Philip's website in the show notes, everybody. So if you're having trouble finding him on a particular platform, just go and uh, and click the show notes and you'll find it there. So uh, again, Philip, keep doing what you're doing, man. Really appreciate the time. You too, Jace. Always a pleasure. Thanks. And to listeners, we want to thank you for spending some time with us as always. We'll talk to you next time. You can find the Comic Source Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or whichever podcasting app you prefer. Please tell all your friends about us, subscribe, and rate us. The ratings really help with our visibility and our ability to reach new listeners, especially five-star reviews on Apple. Also be sure to visit us at lrmonline.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover all our other great pop culture content. If you want to email us, the email address is thecomicsourceblog at gmail.com, or you can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash thecomicsource. Do a search for The Comic Source on Facebook and Instagram to follow us on those social platforms. All three spots are great places to find out when we release new episodes as well as follow all our convention coverage. So once again, we want to thank everyone for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.